We are turning back in the word of the Lord tonight to the book of Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 through to 14. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 and down to the verse 14, taking the topic how paradise was lost. Milton, John Milton, paradise lost. Well, how paradise was lost. Verse 12 of Romans 5, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Or you'll see if you have a margin in your Bible at the end of verse 14 against the word, the figure of him, you'll probably, if your Bible is like mine, you'll have the word likeness or type, a type, a figure of him, a picture of him that was to come. And Adam, of course, was a picture of Jesus in a limited sense a limited sense. Let's bow together in prayer tonight, please. Our Heavenly Father, again, we thank Thee that we're found together before Thee. We are so privileged to be able to come to a place where the Word of God is preached, and where we don't have to cut corners, and where we don't have to sanitize, and where we don't have to do a double take and a double check as to are the authorities listening and are they in approval. And as we mentioned this morning, so we pray again tonight that we will always be guided by the principle, it's better to obey God than men. And we see Well, if our own local government were in situ at the moment, then we know how the votes lie. We know how every abomination under the sun would have every chance of being voted in and approved. Many have already, and over these we lament. Where thy law is broken, where thy book is abandoned, where Christ is defamed, where the way of life is ignored, where man is encouraged to indulge in all the perversities that this holy book condemns. When we see a majority for these things, then we know we're coming under the cloud of thy judgment. In wrath, remember mercy. We pray that while the devil may be rubbing his hands in glee and having an absolute field day right now, that thou will take the smirk from off his face, the satisfaction from his brow, the joy out of his heart. And what happened at Calvary where he was defeated? Give him more results of that defeat again. Lord, deliver our nation. We were thinking about our children this morning. 
We pray that thou wilt help us to do something effective. We thank thee for the children that are in tonight in our Sunday school. We've missed them over the summer. It's a joy to see them again. We pray that thou wilt impact their homes for grace and for God, and that thou wilt be merciful to us. In Jesus' name, and to thy glory we pray. Amen. Paul the Apostle had spent considerable time in this book of Romans, right up to chapter 5, where we are tonight, and he was proving that man is a sinner. So he was in muddy and murky territory as he wades through in this discussion. He's shown us every class of person in the world is guilty in the eyes of God. And really, there's no denying that truth, because if we would ever doubt that man is guilty or man is a sinner, a lot of people today do say, well, you know, I'm not a sinner. I remember the time whenever the Free Presbyterian Church, not that long ago in the Reformation days, so we're thinking about Reformation time, 500-year celebration, and we thought at that time, we'll produce a track, put it out through all of the homes in Northern Ireland, and we got a couple of tracks sent back in the post, and one person stood out above the others for their response because they said, you've sent this to me, I have no use for this because I am not a sinner. But if we doubt man's guilty, just go to any spot on this globe, pick up any newspaper, listen to any news broadcast, absolutely anywhere, and the truth is going to come home to us again and again, man is a sinner. And in these verses that we've come to tonight in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, 14, or any of the other verses around that, then what Paul is doing here is saying, you have desires, you have impulses in your heart and in your mind, and if you followed them, they'd ruin your career, ruin your finances, ruin your marriage, ruin your name, ruin your fellowship with the Lord. We have those thoughts that come time to time, maybe regularly. Sadly, many act upon them, and even when they know the consequences of their actions, what the fallout is going to be, they still want to do that which is wicked. Why is that? The answer is found in a doctrine that is called sin, in particular original sin. Teaches us man is a sinner by nature. He doesn't become a sinner by doing evil. He does evil because he is a sinner. There's another name for that condition, and you could call it total depravity. The theologians do. What that teaches is simply this, that mankind is evil right at his heart, right down into the very core, and there is no good in him naturally at all. And so, in the earlier chapters, Romans chapter 3, the verse 10 to 12, Paul is saying there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Now, that is not how it was in the beginning. We're told that God, at the beginning, in that great plan of creation, 
He made man in his image. Genesis 1 and verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So man was elevated in the plan of God. Man back then was holy and he was righteous and he was a close friend of God. He was put in a perfect paradise where he enjoyed the riches of God's wonderful creation. Everything was so splendid. But what happened? Well, our text holds out the answer to that question tonight. How paradise was lost. And we'll learn again about sin here. In Romans 5, 12 to 14, we'll see where it came from. We'll see how it affects us, even right up to this day. So this is such relevant material. It's not dated. It is timeless. The first major thing we'll consider, the roots of sin. Look at verse 12, Romans 5 and verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We had a perfect beginning, but somehow we arrive at a pitiful failure. And what we have here is a study of sin's effects on the human race. And it's a study in tragedy, and it's a study about death. Sin had its origins in the heart of Lucifer. You'll find in Isaiah 14, verse 12 to 15, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For, and the pride was the problem with Lucifer, Thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And here's the consummate expression of pride. He says, I will be like the Most High. But you know what God says? You can aspire as high as you want, and your heart can puff up ever so much with that pride that is in it. But here's reality. Thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. And that's what happened to the devil, to Lucifer, that chief angel back then. Ezekiel paints another picture. Ezekiel 28 and verse 14 to 19, describing Lucifer then as being the anointed cherub that covereth, but then says, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee down to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities. And so from that high perch, Lucifer fell sinned against God. But that sin of his had no inherent effect upon humanity, but it had an indirect effect upon humanity. We have a perfect paradise. Sin enters into the human family by the actions of one person, the first man, Adam. 
He'd been created, as we have read, in the image of God. That means he reflected God in terms of his knowledge, in terms of his righteousness, in terms of his holiness, made in God's image, made to reflect him in the earth. He'd been put in a perfect environment with a perfect companion. He was master of a perfect world. There was only one restriction placed on Adam right there at the beginning, and we know what it was. He was told, you cannot take of that forbidden fruit, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the center of the Garden of Eden, Genesis 2, verse 15 to 17. The Lord commanded the man that he was not to partake of this fruit form in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So the penalty for doing what God told him not to do was death. Now you'd think, with everything around you of beauty and splendor and wonder and amazement in that perfect paradise of God, you would imagine Adam will find enough to be engaged in there and more than enough to enjoy and to keep on the right side of the will and the law of God. But the Bible tells us not at all. Adam went forward broke the one law that he'd been given by God in Genesis 3 verse 1 to 7 that account is given had we been standing behind a tree in Eden that day watching Adam and Eve take that forbidden fruit we wouldn't have heard any immediate explosions there wouldn't have been a bell or a whistle sound out but in that instant of time, humanity began to die. The fallout from that moment of disobedience has been catastrophic for the human family. Worse than Hiroshima that ended World War II. Worse than Chernobyl in 1986. The catastrophe of the fall, that's how theologians describe it, the fall of man, that catastrophe has kept cascading on down through the centuries and the generations of time and of human experience. Adam's fall didn't just affect him, didn't just impact on his life or his wife's life, but it impacted the whole world. And Paul writes here, sin entered into the world. There's no other way to describe and explain the state of the world today than how the Bible does it. There's no other way to explain things. Sins that Jesus in Matthew 7 put his finger upon called abominations things that broke his heart, abortion and theft and racism and hatred and fornication and adultery and idolatry and every kind of wickedness under the sun. There's no other way to describe why that happened apart from the way the Bible describes it. By one man, that's Adam, sin entered into the world. How do you explain a Fred West? How do you explain a Dennis Nielsen? How do you explain a legal slaughterhouse, sadly legal now, where abortions are performed and many times for profit? How do you explain homosexuality? How do you explain any of the millions of crimes that are committed against humanity? There is only one explanation. The Bible tells us what it is. By one man, sin entered into the world. 
It can all be traced back to one moment in time. To that time when Adam, the first man, sinned against God, his transgression saw paradise ruined. How paradise was lost, the roots of sin. Not only that, the reality of sin. Again, verse 12, Romans 5, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So, let's move away from talking about what Adam did thousands of years ago. Because some people get all hooked up in this, and they say, well, why should I be chargeable for a crime that I had no part to play in? Didn't have a hand, didn't have a finger involved. My finger wasn't in that pie. Why do you charge me? Surely that's so unfair. I mean, Adam sinned. I couldn't stop him. I couldn't restrain him. I had nothing to say there. Why should I carry the can for what he did? Well, we'll move on from talking about Adam for a while. Talk about your life. Talk about my life right now. And notice the last phrase of verse 12 in Romans chapter 5. It says, all have sinned. Yes, the focus is off Adam now, and it's broadened out. It's including me. It's including you. All have sinned. Could anything be any more plain? All, all, all have sinned. This verse isn't saying that all men are sinners even though we are. This verse is not saying all men commit sin even though we do. To properly understand the verse, you need to look at the tense of this word, sinned, past tense. We all sinned even before we got here. What Paul is underlining is this. When Adam sinned, I sinned. When Adam sinned, you sinned. When Adam disobeyed, you and I disobeyed. When Adam fell, you and I fell. One fellow was put it like this. When Adam fell, everybody bruised their knees. But the problem is much more serious than that. When Adam sinned, we all died spiritually. Let me come back to a point that we touched on briefly in the introduction to the message, the doctrine of total depravity, original sin. This doctrine, it teaches three things. It teaches us that all men and women are fallen, and we find that in Psalm 14 and 3, in Romans 5, in verse 12, our passage tonight. You see, Adam was, by the appointment of God, the federal head and the representative of the entire human race. There's a whole controversy or a set of controversies at the middle with the PSNI. And whose head are they calling for to go on the block, be chopped off? But the chief constable. It always goes right to the top. In anything, it goes right to the top. That person is the representative of the entire structure, Adam was the representative of the whole human race, right at the top. He was at the pinnacle. In the eyes of God, he was given authority to act for the entire human race. Therefore, when he sinned, we were in his loins, and we sinned as well. When he fell, he passed his sinful heart and condition to every human that has ever been born. His sin tainted the bloodstream of our humanity. Every human being born into the world is born carrying this virus of sin and of death. We are diseased. Take another picture. Adam was driving the bus of humanity, and when he steered that bus off the cliff, we went with him. 
For we were passengers in the same bus. All men and women are fallen. Then total depravity also teaches all by nature are corrupt and condemned. We by our nature are corrupt and condemned. Romans 3, the verse 10 to 23. This infection of sin fills all of us. We're born with this natural drive towards evil. Oh yes, a little child is born into the world and we we coo over it and we cluster around and if a baby is brought into church maybe a few weeks old, everybody's over and oh, he or she is lovely and all that kind of thing. That child won't need to be taught how to do bad things. Yeah, you'll have to teach them how to dress. You'll have to teach them how to behave. You'll have to teach them how to tie their laces, if laces they have in their shoes, and that might be a bit of an ordeal. You'll have to teach them how to blow their nose, how to get into the bath and out safely, all of that. You'll have to teach them, but they never have to be taught to do evil things. They're born with a bent towards sin. And the Bible has it exactly right here in Psalm 58 and verse 3 when it says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Oh, that's harsh. May sound hard, but it's true. We're all born with hearts chock full of enmity against God. Romans 8 and verse 7. Jeremiah 17 and 9, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And that's a good question because we think we do know our own heart. We think we're not as bad as Paul in Romans here is describing us. We imagine, well, we've got to be the exception. We're not as bad as all this. We can't be totally depraved. There's no way that's a fair assessment of us. Why do we say that? Because we don't understand our own hearts. We don't know the depths of our own souls. So people don't become evil because they commit sin. People commit sin because they are evil by their nature. To put it another way, we don't become sinners by what we do, what we do, we do because we are sinners. Reverend Steadman in the book, From Guilt to Glory, said, and you'll find this startling, every baby starts life as a little savage. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants, when he wants. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toy, his uncle's watch. Deny him these wants and he sees with rage and aggressiveness that would be murderous were he not so helpless. He has no morals, no knowledge, no skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, are born delinquent. I haven't raised a delinquent child. Well, that's how I came into the world. That's what developed through the years. Instead, man says, if permitted to continue in the self-centered world of his infancy, give free rein to his impulsive actions to satisfy his wants, he says every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer, a rapist. You see, people were way bad back in the Garden of Eden. 
We were born with a bad record. We were born with a thirst for that which was wrong. There's no sin beyond the realm of possibility for us. And again you say, ah, come on, not, not, not me, definitely not me. I've got boundaries. Could you murder? If the circumstances were right, maybe you could. Could you commit adultery? Well, some will have dreamed of it this very week. Could we steal if necessary? Could we tell a lie? Certainly. The bottom line is human beings are evil to the core. There is no good in us. All the evil in the world is in the heart of every child of Adam. And so Jesus said in Matthew 15, verse 18 to 20, those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. They defile the man. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. All of these come from the heart, the reality of sin. And that's what we need to face up to. So we have the root of sin. We have the reality of sin. We have the results of sin as well. The results of sin. They're sketched out in verse 12 to 14 of Romans chapter 5. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. The results of sin, you can sum it up in one horrible word, death. When men sin, they're doomed to die. Romans 6 and 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, supported again by Galatians 3 and 10. Because of our sinful nature and practice, we are under condemnation by God. When we take a glimpse at one of the early chapters in the Word of God, Genesis chapter 5, we read about every single person named, and there are many people named, and he died, and he died, and he died. No matter how long he lived, and he died. The longest ages you could possibly conceive of are packed in there. In Genesis chapter 5, those men live much longer than people do today. But for every single one of them, and he died, is written. That says it all. The result of sin is always death. James in the New Testament in chapter 1, verse 14 and 15 said, Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. There we are again. Death is so certain that our whole industries built up around the truth that we are going to die. The mortuary the funeral directors, the life insurance industries. They exist. Why? Because they know people die. They've always died. Death is as certain as life is. And so the Bible tells us in Hebrews 9 in verse 27, as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, 
the judgment. And sadly, a lot of people don't understand that death is much more than just breathing your last. The body stopping in its major functions. Sin produces three different kinds of death in a man. We have spiritual death. That separation from God. That's how we're all born into the world. We're disjointed, taken away from God, totally aliens in our mind as far as God is concerned. Don't want anything to do with the Bible and the ways of God and the Christ of God and the day of God. Ephesians 2 verse 1 and 2 tells us we were dead in trespasses and in sins. Not only spiritual death, but physical death. Just mentioned the place where all human beings come to. The grave. The crematorium. The bodies are laid aside. But then there's another factor in it all, and that's eternal death, known as the second death. Not just eternal separation from the presence of God here, but... While that's included, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 8 and 9, that eternal separation from the presence of God, there is, in addition to that, torment in the lake of fire. In hell, Revelation 20, verse 14 and 15, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life. Tell me, is your name inscribed there tonight? Is your name in God's book of life, the Lamb's book of life? Are you known to Him? Are you saved? For whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire, the doom of every person not saved by God's grace. The results of sin. We've thought about the roots of sin, the reality of sin, the results of sin, And finally, as we close, think of the remedy for sin. And we have it in verse 14, the remedy for sin. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. And with that final clause, figure of him that was to come, we have got a pointer to the remedy for this sin. We're being told here by Paul that the first Adam, back in the Garden of Eden, was a type, was a picture of the second Adam. And we've said already the similarities, so they don't run too deep here. But when the first Adam failed, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, prevailed. Adam gave in to sin. Christ took our sin, and he bore the complete penalty, and he had victory over sin, over the grave, over the devil, over death. The first Adam gave humanity a gift, and that gift was one that we don't want. It was the gift of sin. It brings with it the ultimate price of death. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, give gifts unto humanity, and those gifts are salvation. Romans 5 The verse 15 through 17, we read about them, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. In fact, you'll find if you look at that passage, Romans 5, verse 15 to 17, the word gift pops up five times. 
the number of grace. And what do we read about the gifts here? It's a free gift, Romans 5 and 15. It is the gift of grace, Romans 5 and 15 as well. It's the gift of justification, Romans 5 and verse 17. Christ died in our place, tarring the load of our iniquity, and mine is the guilt, his the righteousness, but he, the righteous one, took my guilt upon him. The great exchange died in my place. The gift of righteousness, therefore, the gift of eternal life as well. Romans 6 and 23, we go to for that. I think of the words of Bradford who said, Oh, the power of love divine. Who its heights and depths can tell? Tis Jehovah's grand design to redeem our souls from hell. Mystery of redemption this. All my sins on Christ were led. My offense was reckoned his. He the grand atonement made. What's the result of that? Fully, I am justified, free from sin and more than free. Guiltless since for me he died, righteous since he lives for me. Jesus, nigh to thee I bow, let thy praise my tongue employ. Saved unto the utmost now, who can speak my heartfelt joy? What is the remedy for sin? What's the answer? What's the solution? It's simple. It's me stretching out with my empty hands of faith and of repentance and receiving God's gift to me. God loved this world, full of its curse, full of its condemnation, full of its corruption, loved it so much that he sent his son to die on that cross. And as we receive the gift of his atoning work as our own, we receive the free gift of salvation through faith. That's why we sang today, tell me the story slowly, that I may take it in, that wonderful redemption, God's remedy for sin. Tell me the story often, for I forget so soon the early dew of morning has passed away at noon, and the whole message, it centers around this one question. Have you personally received God's gift of salvation as your own? Have you received it? If you haven't, don't blame Adam. Don't blame God. Don't blame Jesus Christ. Don't blame the church. Don't blame the preacher. Blame the only person God is going to blame on the final day, yourself. If you haven't received the gift, it's available right now. Reach out to Jesus. He's reaching out to you. Take it in faith. Your eternal destiny depends upon what you do with this free gift of grace.